And we know so many people who in moments like this, these moments of downturns, like maybe they've gone through a little bit of the volatility, they've seen a decision that they've made and it's resulted in them losing money, they get spooked, they don't look back and they immediately pull reverse, right? They pull all of their money out and they say, you know what? The stock market is not for me. And I think what I love about this conversation and what I love about bonds is that they're offering you an alternative. Like you don't have to completely back out, go from investing in stocks and mutual funds or even stock picking if you wanted to do that to just saying, you know what? I'm just going to hold my money in cash. I'm not going to do it at all. There is a lot of room in between. Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today we are talking about bonds. Let's do it. Not Barry Bonds, the regular bonds. The regular kinds. bonds. <laughs> Yay. But first, I want to give a couple of shout outs. The first one goes to Jen and Decatur, who left us a five-star review saying... This podcast is best described as an easy, understandable conversation with your genius friend who doesn't make you feel like the opposite of a genius. So obviously she's talking about me. Thank Thank you, you, Jen. Jen. (laughs) I'm the genius friend. You are just the sidekick, I guess. Don't talk about Jen like that. (laughs) And then also to Hallie Hart who said we were the answer to her prayers. Oh, wow. She actually listened to our episode about life insurance and left this review with this really heartfelt story about a friend who was trying to sell her a life insurance policy, and she prayed that she would figure it out before she signed the dotted line, and then boom, there was our podcast. So, Hallie Hart, thank you for sharing that story. I will tell you, you're not alone. We've received a couple of notes like that. I was just going to say, yeah. We really were, appreciate your support. Yeah, there were a couple of notes. I had a pretty long DM uh, Instagram exchange with someone. Because again, life insurance is one of those topics, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to cover it. But anyway, we're not talking about life insurance today. We're talking about bonds. Yes. And when I hear that word, investments is literally the last thing that comes to mind, right? Yeah. I'm thinking Berry bonds, bail bonds, nail glue, See, relationships, is, <laughs> anything but like I think there's also like a dental bond. Thing. Yeah, that's denture bond. That's not what comes to mind for me. I actually have very early memories of bonds. In fact, if I had to say bonds were probably my first exposure to investing at all. I remember my mom had like a little... I don't even know what you call it, but it was almost like a metal tin briefcase kind of thing. Old school. I literally remember what it looked like and probably smelled like, but it was in her closet uh, in there with, you know, where you throw your coat closet and, mm-hmm. you know, you have your, uh, your Christmas wrapper and all that stuff. But on the floor, there was a little briefcase and there were some treasury bonds in there. And you know, when you're a like kid, paper bonds. paper bonds, and you know, when you're a kid and you, I remember going through and like, Oh my God, it felt like I found a treasure. Yeah. Cause like it was in a container. So I remember that that is very clearly one of my earliest childhood memories. I uh, actually got a savings bond for winning a spelling bee. Okay. Yeah. It was $50. I don't know where it is. It's but I, I also matured and expired. <laughs> I'm sure your dad or your it's mom. probably worth like fifty two dollars now. Right, congratulations. <laughs> but no, even when I remember, like at various stages of my life, I remember being a young adult and learning about investing and there being that chapter on bonds and me just sort of realizing like, wow, this is a whole world in and of itself. Cause you don't really hear a lot about it. And then you introduce to like the general rules of thumb around like owning your age. But I think now more than ever, especially with, you know, I think this episode will likely drop 
in the beginning or the early parts of the summer of 2023. And I don't see anything really changing in the environment. There is just a lot, a lot of conversations about recessions and economic downturns. We're hearing a lot more conversations about layoffs for sure these days than we were, let's say, even a couple of months ago. And so I think now is a really opportune moment to talk about bonds as an investment option, because I think this is actually the moment that they've been created for to kind of help people go through these periods. And so if you've only been familiar with stocks or mutual funds or options and real estate, I think now is a really, really good time to start thinking about the role that bonds can play. All right. So let's start with defining them. We have found so many variations of this definition, and I'm telling y'all up front, they're all pretty clunky. It is. So <laughs> let me start with what NerdWallet had to say, because I like NerdWallet. They said, a bond is a loan to a company or government that pays investors a fixed rate of return over a specific time frame. Pretty straightforward. Now, here's what Investopedia had to say. A bond is a fixed income instrument that represents a loan made by an investor to a borrower. A bond could be thought of as an IOU between the lender and the borrower that includes the details of the loan and its payments. So I think right off the bat, this is why it confuses so many people because they're hearing it as an investment, but the definition refers to it as a loan. Right. And the reason for this is because it's both. When you invest in a bond, you are giving money to an organization and they're in turn using that money to do something like build a building or fund a project. The financial outcome of the project is a set amount of money and what you as an investor receive in return. It's a specific agreed upon amount of money based on the details associated with that loan slash investment. So let me just give you a super simple example because that tends to help cut through all of the you know, financial jargon. Let's say your local city government is in partnership with an investment group that wants to build a new stadium. The stadium is going to cost a billion dollars and take five years to complete. Now, to fund the project, they put up some, not all of the money, and then they issue bonds for people to buy. According to that bond, you'll receive a 6% return on your investment. This is also called a coupon rate after what's called a maturity date. And then you'll receive periodic payments on a set schedule. So you can see immediately, (laughs) based on that example, how different this is from a stock. So one, stocks and mutual funds do not guarantee an investment return on a specific date. Like, be hard-pressed to find that unless you're into some insider trading. You should be suspicious if somebody (laughs) is offering you. Some insider trading going on if you are able to get a specific return on a specific date. Uh, There's also no specific maturity date of when you must sell the stock or when the stock hits its full value. There's no coupon rate. There's interest rates when it comes to stocks, not coupon rates. And then stocks and mutual funds aren't issued by or in tandem with any governments. They're only issued for for for-profit organizations. Yeah. And and so we're clear the reason why the government doesn't like get into the stock business because like they're not, you know, that's the government. Like there's government and then there are for-profit Uh, businesses. If the government were to do that, like there would obviously be a huge conflict of interest. Their job is to ensure that those things can be issued safely, legally, and smoothly between buyers and sellers. So to manage the marketplace, not to actually capitalize from it. Their job is to just ensure that they're, you know, supporting this free flowing of cash and capital back and forth. And that you all, investors, have an opportunity to do that 
to your heart's desire, right? They regulate it to some degree. Right. As we used to say in corporate, they give freedom within a framework. Yes. This is allowed. This is not. Right. All right. So we've defined bonds, but this is where things get like even more confusing, right? So there are four primary categories of bonds that I think people should know about. So first, there are what are called corporate bonds, and this is exactly what it sounds like. They are bonds that are issued by companies. And so if you think about all of the different ways that a company can use to gain money, they can buy something and presumably keep the profit and reinvest that profit. They can go to the bank and get a loan, or they can also issue bonds. Sometimes they prefer to issue bonds because they may be able to do that more favorably than, let's say, what the lending market or the terms that a bank might be willing to offer them. So those are corporate bonds. And then there are what are called municipal bonds or municipal bonds. I think I said that. Yeah, it's one of the two. Municipal. It's mu. I like municipal. (laughs) I feel like Bo, our son, would call it municipal. But anyway, municipal bonds. And these are basically bonds that are issued by states and or municipalities, right? So if you think about the example that you just gave, let's just think about something a little different, like a bridge, right? Your local government just wants to build a bridge to ensure that people can get over the creek, you know, as opposed to going around, assuming your city still has a creek. I don't know who still has <laughs> You need to cross over. But you got to get over the creek and <laughs> someone's got to pay for it. The company or organization doesn't want to pay, pay for it. That's on one side. The other company doesn't want to do it. So everyone decides, you know what? We'll pay for it and we're going to issue bonds. All that money goes together. They build the bridge over the creek and there you have it, right? There are also like on a larger scale, you've got like government bonds. And this is what I was a little bit more familiar with as a child. Again, I'm less familiar with smaller cities and states doing it, but it made sense to me that the federal government does it. So all that to say, the federal government, the feds, the White House, all those big sort of branches, they issue bonds as well. And this is what I think most people are familiar with when it comes to T-bonds or what are called treasury bonds. And then you get into like these hybrid versions, which is almost like uh, it's what they call agency bonds. And these are bonds that are issued by government affiliated organizations. So you think about those organizations, the two that always come to mind are going to be like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And it's like they're not yeah. the government, they're but private they're organizations, <laughs> but they certainly kind of have like government freedoms and powers. They sort of dabble (laughs) a little bit. So yeah, they have the power or freedom to issue bonds as well. So those are the four primary categories. You've got corporate, municipal, government, and then agency bonds. And then it gets a little funkier, right? So there are different varieties of those kinds of bonds. I was trying my best to like try to think of like a culinary reference here. And I just, it, it just gets confusing, right? Like, I don't want to add more culinary references or anything to the stuff that's already there. So you've got four categories. But then within those categories or below those categories, you've got different varieties of bonds. And so one of the primary varieties is what are called zero coupon bonds. And these are the types of bonds that don't make those periodic payments that Kirsten was talking about. They're sort of like this for that, like plain and simple. You're going to buy, let's say, a bond for $100 with the promise that at a certain date, you're going to be given or rewarded $106. Like really, really simple. You buy this for this amount, we're going to give you that plus some in the future. 
Then there are convertible bonds, which are, okay, this is using that same example. You buy a bond for $100. There's the promise that in, I'm just making it up, five years, it'll be worth $106. But somewhere in the middle, there may be something that happens that gives you the freedom to convert that bond into something else, like equity in that project or something like that. And then things get really confusing, I think, because you start to use language that's more familiar with like options trading. So you have what are called callable bonds. And basically, callable bonds are bonds that are uh, that allow the issuer of the bonds to basically buy it back from you at a set amount based on market conditions. And then on the other side of that, you have what are called potable bonds, right? That basically do the opposite. And that give you, the buyer of the bonds, the right to sell it back to the issuer at a set amount. And you might be wondering, well, why would either parties want the ability to do that? And it's because the value of these bonds are oftentimes tied to interest rates. And generally speaking, this is like a really, I wouldn't even say a rule of thumb. It's just a fact. When interest rates fall, bond prices rise. And conversely, when interest rates rise, bond prices fall. And this is why so many people pay attention to the bond market or why you hear about it on financial news, because it is representative to some degree of where money is being held or where money or how money is flowing. Pretty simply, when there's an opportunity to earn more, you're going to see more money sort of flow out of the bond market and into the stocks. But when people are a little bit more uncertain, they want that stability in their life. You see more people holding on to cash and more people looking into more stable investments like bonds. So I want to dive into that a little bit more, because when we talk about measuring return on investment, it's not uncommon for people to quote the historical average of the stock market, which is around 10 percent. Now, when you back out inflation, we can take away about two to three percentage points, and that leaves us with a real rate of return of around 7%. That's the number that guides a lot of people's decisions around what to invest in. If you're a keep it simple total stock market index fund investor, then you know that number well, and you bake it into all of your projections for future value. Now, if you're looking for a bit more return, maybe you start looking at hot sectors like tech some of which have a 16% historical rate of return over the last decade. The point is, people are always looking for more, but there's not nearly enough conversation about less, which is where bonds come in. The reality is, when you look at the last few years, the market has been very volatile and in some cases has seen double-digit declines in a single year. So if you were invested 100% in something that mirrors the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S&P 500, you would have seen a direct reflection of that in your portfolio value. You would have seen it dip double digits. So what can you do? Well, the answer has traditionally been to invest in bonds since they're far more stable than stocks and can provide you with a built-in rate of return. For a long time, the general rule of thumb has been to own your age as a proportion of your total portfolio in bonds. So, for example, if you're 30 years old, 30% of your investment portfolio should be in bonds. When you're 40, then 40% of your investment portfolio should be in bonds and so on. And when you hit the traditional retirement age of, say, 65, then that amount should be invested in bonds with the remaining being in that volatile equity pool or mutual funds. So the reason for that is because the logic is when you're young, you have more time for volatility. You have more time to rebound. Whereas when you're older, if there's this big dip and you have the majority of your wealth that's tied up in stocks, you're overexposed and you actually run the risk of not having enough money when you need it the most. So in that way, bonds are a little bit like a stabilizer. 
right? When the stock market starts acting like a roller coaster, bonds are that bar that they tell you to put over your lap and make sure that it like clicks in so you're not (laughs) thrown overboard. Or if you're in a car with me, it's that arm that comes and slaps you across the torso when I hit a turn a little too quick. Bonds are there to prevent you from flying out of the window, proverbially speaking. Thank you. (laughs) My cheeks and my chest can certainly agree with your (laughs) reference. I can't help myself though, but to think of a food reference here and I'm going to, I'm going to take a shot here, but like if you've ever made a vinaigrette, uh, typically the two primary ingredients in a vinaigrette are going to be the vinegar and the oil, but these two naturally don't mix. You kind of need something that's like, to your point, a stabilizer that keeps it together. And this is where like people may use like an egg or an egg yolk or like mustard, and that tends to act like a bit of a stabilizer so that when you shake it, it creates an emulsification so that the thing sort of like is a bit more stable as opposed to it just being like a broken vinaigrette, which is what they call when you've got like a bunch of oil on top and then a bunch of vinegar on the bottom, right? You don't want, you don't really want that because you just, I know every time I see people make a salad and they put the oil and the vinegar directly on the lettuce without shaking it, I'm just like, I know that salad greasy. Yeah. Like I know one one side is greasy. The other salad is super tangy and (laughs) they're just mixing it up and calling it even. See, now I'm confused. I don't even know what a bond is at that point. That's just gross. Anyway, With that said, if you are a risk-averse investor, then you might think, like, why not go all in on bonds then, right? Like, since I don't like the bumpiness, I don't like the rides, I don't like the tangy or the oily, why not just go with bonds altogether? And the reason for that is because bonds are, unfortunately, like, not as sexy. Like, you're not going to get nearly as much of a return as you would relative to stocks. So on one end, if you invest 100% in stocks, then you're going to be in for a pretty bumpy ride. On the other end, if you go all in on bonds, yes, it'll be smooth. Yes, it will be predictable, but there really won't be much to celebrate at the end of the day. Like with low risk comes low reward and with high risk comes high reward. So when we took control of our finances, just thinking back to like a little over a decade ago, I remember one of the first decisions we had to make was to what extent or what percentage of our investment portfolio were we going to invest in bonds. And I remember coming out of the Great Recession knowing like the only thing that's going to be on the tail end of a historic low is a historic high. And so since we were in our 30s and we knew that we had plenty of time to rebound, assuming there were going to be some bumps in the road, like I knew that we could absorb that dip again and sort of grow from it. And so we went what most people would call or consider pretty aggressively. And so we went around 90% in on stocks and mutual funds and really only a tiny sliver, let's say around 10% in bonds. And I don't regret that decision at all. We were right in our prediction, even though it doesn't make us geniuses, that yes, the market rebounded and we witnessed and were beneficiaries of one of the greatest bull markets in the history of the stock market, right? But on the downside, that means that, yeah, we also went through deeper dips than most people would have who would have had a more balanced portfolio. And I think it really just speaks to the role that bonds play. If you're the type of person that's willing and you're not sort of thrown off or scared by those deeper dips, then, hey, keep going aggressive. But if you would really rather sort of keep things smooth and roll with the punches relative to what the market is doing, I think that's the role that bonds kind of play in your portfolio. They soften the dips so it's not as much of a scary roller coaster ride. So we've been talking about bonds and the percentage of your portfolio that should be invested in them. And there's a word for this and it's called allocation, specifically your bond allocation. 
The idea being we know and understand what bonds are and the role they play, but how much should I own given my age and risk tolerance? Now, we mentioned the old rule of thumb, which is to own your age. But if you ask a lot of investors, that's really conservative. We know people who are older than us that don't own any bonds and have no interest in owning any bonds at any point soon. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're just not going to advocate for that approach because the reality is we're living in uncertain times and those people are have been investors for a lot longer than we have. We're likely in a recession. We're hearing more and more conversations about layoffs. And the last thing that we want is for people to lose income and suffer in their retirement portfolio because they were too aggressive. So I want to talk more about bonds in case you're like us and are already evaluating incorporating them into your portfolio. Like Julian said, there are all types of bonds, but the good news is if you're a regular Joe or Jane and you work a W-2 job, you don't need to get into all that puddable and callable bonds at all. You can get a simple U.S. issued treasury bond or municipal bond that have clear cut maturity dates and a coupon rate, and that gets the job done just fine. So treasury bonds or T-bonds are issued by the U.S. government. They make semi-annual payments, and the income is only taxed at the federal level. Municipal bonds are similar, but the tax benefits are tied to your local state or city. They're very low risk and are a preferred place to park your money if you know you won't need it for 20 or 30 years. So if you're on the path to take more control of your money and you're in your 40s or 50s, you might decide to allocate 20 to 30% of your portfolio and convert it to bonds to bake in that guaranteed rate of return or yield. Yep. Right now, those rates are between 3.4% for seven years and 3.75% for 30 years. But as the Fed continues to tweak their rates, this will likely change over time. Now, if you're like us and you love index funds, then you may be wondering, is there a bond index fund? And the answer is yes. So if you have zero interest in trying to pick a fund that works best for you, you can buy a total bond market index fund. Using Vanguard as a benchmark, their total stock market fund is VTSAX, and right now it's about $100 a share. The expense ratio on that is 0.04%, and it's returned just under 12% as a 10-year average. On their risk-reward scale, VTSAX is rated a 4 out of 5. Now, similarly, Vanguard's total bond market index fund, VBTLX, is around $10 a share, not $100. The expense ratio is 0.05%, and it's returned 1.29% as a 10-year average. So on their risk-reward scale, it's lower. It's a 2 out of 5 and not a 4 out of 5. Now, assuming all things stay the same, here's what would happen if you made a $1,000 investment. In VTSAX, it grows to about $3,000 over 10 years, $3,100. In the bond index fund, it grows to a little over $1,100 over the same time period. So it's a it's it's lower reward, but it is also lower risk if you were to invest in a total bond index fund. Yeah. And again, that's not to say that in 10 years, you will literally have a little over $3,000. We don't know. Right. Like this is just based yeah. on historical performance, assuming all things stay the same. That's what you presumably would end up with. But to your point around there being lower risk with the bonds, there's much more certainty that that's exactly what you're going to get. Yeah. And very few people do 100 percent strategy either way. So if you had split it 60, 40, 
then you could put $600 in total stock market index fund that would grow to a little over $1,800. And the $400 that you put in the bond fund would grow to $455, which means the total value of your $1,000 investment would be in the middle. It'd be about $2,300 versus the 31 if you had put it all in stocks. Yeah. Listen, it's still twice as much as what you had before, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. I love this for so many reasons, but I think the number one reason is because there's just so much noise out there about which stocks to pick and like all of these really complicated ways to invest. And it seems like a lot of people are kind of being drawn into these things uh, as more and more media and content is being pushed out there. But the reality is you can presumably have just those two funds that we just talked about and not have anything else and like just be done with it. And that would give you probably the purest, most diverse, like sense of investing like imaginable, right? Like you, if you had a total stock market index fund, you own a little bit of every publicly traded company. If you own a total bond market index fund, you own basically the entire bond market. You are covered. You own everything from Tesla to municipal bonds, to Amazon, to the medical field and the financial field, to like treasury bonds. Like you are covered. You own a little bit of everything, right? That is like probably diversity in the financial sense in the purest form. And we know so many people who in moments like this, these moments of downturns, like maybe they've gone through a little bit of the volatility. They've seen a decision that they've made and it's resulted in them losing money. They get spooked. They don't look back and they immediately pull reverse, right? They pull all of their money out and they say, you know what? The stock market is not for me. And I think what I love about this conversation and what I love about bonds is that they're offering you an alternative. Like you don't have to completely back out and go from investing in stocks and mutual funds or even stock picking if you wanted to do that to just saying, you know what? I'm just going to hold my money in cash. I'm not going to do it at all. There is a lot of room in between. We had a podcast a few episodes ago where we were talking about savings accounts and those options. And here we are talking about bonds as another sort of stopping point on the spectrum of things that you can do along the sort of road to investing in the stock market. But I also want to be clear, right? Like I'm not trying to tell you that you need to cash out and put all of your money in bonds, but I'm also not telling you that like bonds are like completely risk-free either, right? There are no guarantees when it comes to investing, period. And the same is true for bonds. So as interest rates rise, like you're going to see new bonds being issued. And that's going to mean that if you are holding individual bonds, that they are going to be a little less valuable and certainly less valuable relative to what else is out there in the marketplace. It makes me think of cable packages. Right. <laughs> like when you get your cable package, you're probably under the belief that you, you you got in under the promo and you got all these channels for this low price. But once you're not a new customer anymore, you know, you turn on your TV and you see that they're offering like an even better package as available. Right. right? Like these things happen all the time. It doesn't mean you take the cable in box and you just throw it out the room. Or maybe you do if you just want to like <laughs> we unplug. Did. We did. <laughs> But that wasn't the reason why. My point is, like, that is just a natural part of the bond market. It doesn't mean that you need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The good news is, to your point about indexes, like, you can take that approach, uh, which is to buy a bond or total bond market index fund, which gives you exposure to all of it. And you can think of it very similar as you would a total stock market index fund. If one company flops it will be replaced by something new and you will benefit from that just as you would benefit from the loss of that company that's underperforming. So that's one of the other reasons why these types of investment options exist. And the other benefit of owning a bond market 
index fund is that they don't have any specific maturity date because you don't own a particular bond. You own a pool of bonds that is basically owned and managed by a portfolio manager at a brokerage firm. Bundle of bonds. A bundle of bonds. I love that. The last thing I want to talk about is use cases because people don't just buy bonds for the purposes of investing for retirement. I actually saw somebody make a use case for buying I-bonds, which are inflation-based bonds for saving for future education for their children. And I actually like that use case. So I want you to imagine that you're suddenly receiving a payment of $10,000, right? You're already debt-free and you don't want to invest in the stock market because you're evaluating a number of possibilities for this money. So you could put it in a savings account, some of which are earning up to 4 and 5% these days. Shout out to Apple and some of the online banks that yeah. are having high interest rates in their high-yield savings accounts. You could park it in a CD or a money market account, assuming you like the terms and the restrictions work for you. Or you could put the money into a brokerage account and buy some bonds. Similarly, think about what you could do with the life insurance payout, a severance package, or even an inheritance. Again, holding it in cash is an invitation to just spend it. But you might look at this as an invitation to or an opportunity to revisit your allocation as a whole and let that be the trigger to look into bonds. I'll give you another use case. Um, and I'm thinking specifically about our friend Delianne, who just moved to Portugal. I don't know the specifics yeah. about why she decided to move, but basically she's cashing out of the United States and saying, you know what? I'm done working here. I want to go live, enjoy my time with my family. And I want to take full advantage of like the premium of the money that I have. Now, Again, I don't know much about the Portugal visa process, but I know there are several countries out there that will expedite your application or give you preferential treatment if you have like a certain net worth or something like that, right? Now, imagine a world where you've been planning to leave for like two or three years based on your net worth because you qualify for it, but then the market softens and all of a sudden like you are disqualified for it, right? Like. I would imagine, and I don't know if she did this or not, maybe she was so far above what that minimum amount was, it really wouldn't matter. But I'm just saying, like, there are so many other use cases for why someone might want to take a look at their full portfolio and make the decision to, let's say, back away or reallocate funds that would have been in more volatile stocks into something that's a little bit more stable, like bonds. So whether you're buying a home, selling a home, preparing to have a child, like start a business even, right? Like they're all, take a sabbatical. Like there are all of these life situations or use cases that I think people need to be mindful of like why these things exist. They're not just there for people who aren't willing to deal with the bumpiness or the volatility of the stock market. Like there are all kinds of reasons for why you might not necessarily want to introduce or expose yourself to market volatility. So that's, you know, that's, not my final thought. I was going to ask what that It feels your final like, thought? but no, I think I can come up with something else. <laughs> All right. My final thought is kind of just a summary of what we just talked about. I think when it comes to bonds, particularly in high inflationary periods, it's really important to calculate the real rate of return on those assets and then assess whether it's supporting your long-term goals or not. Because bonds can be a great option if you want to preserve your capital. But if you're dependent on growth to hit those goals, you're probably going to have to look at a different, dare I say, riskier set of investments. Yeah, I like that. Okay, my final thought is more of a reflection. And it's that, you know, we've been spending actually a bit more time like around older folks. 
which has actually been nice. kind of nice. It's like, wow, because it reminded me like how much of the inputs in my mind and in my media that are rooted in youth mm-hmm. and people who have you know, more years uh, ahead of them than behind them. And I think it's been really helpful to start to contextualize and think about all of these different use cases. Again, and it could also be just because like I'm getting older and I'm feeling it a little bit more these days, but I just want to make sure that we at least sort of share some of this perspective, especially now, because again, these are volatile times. There are tons of layoffs right now. And you don't have to just swallow the volatility. You could just say, you know what? I don't want to deal with this. Let's press pause on all of this bumpiness because I'm over it. Let's pause right now. Take some of this, park it over here. And when I get a better understanding or build up a new tolerance for volatility, then we can go in there, make the decision and reinvest in stocks. But this is not just an opportunity for people who want a cushion. It could be an opportunity for people who just want a moment of pause or for people who said, you know what? I'm good with where I am and I just want to. It's been a good run. It's been a good run. I've benefited and I do not willing to risk it all because of insert any number of things that could possibly happen. So that's what bonds are for. Uh, They could be a lifesaver and hopefully you guys can at least consider putting them into your vinaigrettes. (laughs) That's what bonds are for. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. If you enjoyed today's episode and the bond we've built over the last half an hour or so, venture on over to the ratings and review page wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review. We will see y'all next week. Cliche. (laughs) We do have a bond.